Hello, wonderful, beautiful people of Embrace. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, I am excited this morning. I have uh, opportunities to speak or preach to come my way. And because I have such an important mission in life uh, with my three grandsons and my family who are with me today, uh, you know, I, I've got stuff to do, right? Grandparents, you've got stuff to do, right? Um, I, don't, I don't preach very often, so it's been a while, but I am excited, and I'm excited for this reason. Um, first of all, Brace, Embrace has enriched our lives in this uh, time where our world is so troubled. It's like the foundations being shaken in so many ways, and so many people are struggling, and it's helped to ground me and to ground us, my wife and I, and we're thrilled uh, to be part of what the mission is here and of this church. So thank you for being here today, and uh, we'll jump right in uh, to the message because I am excited and time is limited and I want to get things um, um, moving. Um, each and every week, we're challenged as a church. We're in, we're in a series uh, called A Year with Jesus, and we're use, using primarily the Gospel of Luke to take a look and focus at Jesus each and every Sunday. Now, that's not necessarily rare in churches, but that has helped us really accept the challenge that our pastors give us each and every week to look for a different world, to make the world, as troubled as it is, to make the world a little bit more like heaven itself, to bring more of God into the world, even through we as human resources. Jesus left us a prayer, and in that prayer, he said, pray these things, and one of the things he said is, pray this, Pray to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth, Earth as it is where? So somehow Jesus' prayer was that you and I would bring a part, a piece of what's up there down here. The goal of the Christian life is not to just die one day and get up there. It's to do something while we're here. And that something is to join Jesus in creating a world that is more loving, where hope is restored in people's lives, where they no longer believe that they're alone at a time when it's so easy to feel alone. And so that's our mission. And the way this church has embraced that mission stirs my heart, and you can see that. So we're digging deep in Luke's gospel for a specific reason. Luke is really concerned about people that are marginalized in the world. His emphasis is on the poor. His emphasis is on women who had basically no rights in the first century. His emphasis is on those who are mentally or physically challenged and pushed again to the edge of their society, to the very fringe. So this morning's story is about a person, a man, who has this unbelievable condition. It's hard for us as modern people to get our minds around a first century world, pre-scientific world. And so this man's story this morning is one where he faces physical, mental, and spiritual conditions. It comes from the book of Luke. And the story before this is where Jesus calms a storm. He's traveling with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And he's now going to land in a territory that opens up a whole new ministry for him. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And it's titled in the NIV, the New International Version, which I'm going to read from. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man, and it reads this way. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from town. 
For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you not to torture me. Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven with the, by the demon into the solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? The man replied, Legion, because many had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss, that is to a hell, a foreign place where, you know, they were alone. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let him go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man with the demons that had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people and how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. They were overcome with fear, so he got in a boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know what your questions are about this passage today, but I bet you've got some. I don't want to disappoint you. I'm not going to answer a lot of them. I do want to focus on some very important things that are in this text. When we, when we just take a look at it, we see so much that we could dig into. But we find this fascinating story of a man who goes from being totally rejected and feared by his community to someone who's restored to his true self and sent back into the community to tell people what God has done. I want to dig into the backstory for a minute. Because it's so important for Luke and for us to get our minds around his story of Jesus. The story represents Jesus as a boundary breaker. Prior to the boat trip across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had been operating in Jewish territory. Uh, often in the first seven chapters of Luke, le leading up to our story in chapter 8, Jesus is in trouble with spiritual leaders for breaking Sabbath rules. He healed people on the Sabbath. And he not only healed people on the Sabbath, he often healed, in many minds, the wrong people. People, again, who were on the edges and the fringes of life, not accepted into society. So religious legalism was present then, and it's present now, and it's deadly. It's deadly to the soul and spirit of a person. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just healing people on the Sabbath. He was healing people, the wrong people. At this moment in our history, whether you live in Lexington or somewhere where else in the world, really, I believe it's as important as ever for us as followers of Jesus 
to find ways to cross boundaries into lives that are marginalized, where people are devalued and even sometimes demonized. How are we going to do that? Again, there's a lot of details in the story and a lot of things our minds go, oh, I wonder about this and I wonder about that and I wonder about some of those things too. But Jesus' trip across the lake with his disciples in this, in this story, this morning, it reminds us of an important shift in Jesus' ministry. There's a tip-off that Jesus is doing something radical because pigs are mentioned. You say, what? Now, in the very beginning of the text, the first verse I read, 26, we know that Jesus goes to a different geographic area. How many biblical uh, geographic experts do we have in the room? I see, I see one or two who might be. Most of us probably don't catch that Jesus has entered Gentile territory. What do I mean by that? Territory where every, most people are not Jews. He's entered a different place. And I, I, when I read the bizarre thing with the pigs drowning the Sea of Galilee, it began to really dawn on me in a way it hadn't in the past that Jesus is now fully in Gentile territory because Jewish people didn't keep pigs or eat pigs. So this is a Gentile area. Jesus is really opening up a whole new worldwide ministry, according to Luke. And so the area was primarily Gentile. There were still Jews that were living there. But again, this idea of the pigs is interesting. Now, I don't want to offend my, my vegan or vegetarian friends, but last night I went to a, a soul food festival. And I had barbecue, and it was really good. I don't know if I want to live in a world where you can't eat bacon and barbecue, but anyway. <laughs> this move by Jesus is huge, huge because he's starting a new movement. This movement has touched our lives here today. Your life and mine has impacted us. And now we're invited again to join Jesus in making the world more loving and just. A world where cycles of pain, resentment, and guilt are broken. I want to take you back to the very first verse I read. Because this, this makes it crystal clear. I want you to look at what happens as the boat arrives. Again, the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee into this new territory. In the midst, they hit a storm. And Jesus stills the storm, the waves, and the wind. And you just, I kind of, kind of go, well, if Jesus can do that, Jesus can do anything in our lives. And as soon as the boat arrives, I think the, the, the disciples were want, wanting some, some quiet, some respite from all the intensity and criticism Jesus was receiving. And maybe Jesus was wanting that too. But here's what it says. They sailed to the lands of the Gerasenes, which is on the other side of Galilee. And he got, as he got out of the boat, a demon-possessed man from town met him as soon as he lands before he has a chance to stretch his legs hardly this man falls down in front of him screaming crying shouting at the top of his lungs when i think about the humanness of the disciples i wonder if one of the disciples didn't want to tap jesus on the back and say hey hey jesus can we go back to where we were you know Sometimes I think the most important thing we can do with an amazing event like this in Scripture is not to explain it away, but maybe instead use our imagination a little bit to enter into the story. We just heard our children be invited to the Wonder Room. 
When they encounter Scripture there, they're not given a bunch of answers. They're not given a bunch of things to regurgitate back to the leader. They're told a story from the Bible, and then they're invited in. I wonder, I wonder this, I wonder that, and they respond. And I wonder, as we look at this, if we don't need to do some of that, or maybe you would in your own mind, like, I wonder how the community treated him after years of keeping, keeping him at a distance, of being afraid of him. And maybe even they tried to help him, but they couldn't do it. I wonder if the man would ever be able to really believe he was cured unless he had had that visible demonstration of the pigs running into the sea. I wonder if the man's family was still alive and if they were able to embrace him after this. And was it a great rejoicing or was it a, I don't know. I wonder if the man who had had this life-changing miracle didn't still have problems as he went through life. I, I feel sure he did. I have lots of questions. I don't have the answers, but here's what I know. Some of what was considered to be unclean spirits can be explained a different way. Some of what was considered demon possession in the first century, we now know were, some were mental conditions. Schizophrenia, depression, other things. One of my favorite professors in seminary was a man by the name of Fred Craddock. He was a New Testament scholar and a great preacher. I took every preaching class I could under Fred Craddock, who is no longer uh, living, but was a great influence on me. In his commentary on the New Testament, he writes this. This is kind of a lengthy quote. It won't be on the screen, so lean in and kind of get your mind around it. Dr. Craddock writes of this passage. While it is true that phenomenon now understood as epilepsy, paranoia, or other forms of physical or mental illness were attributed to evil spirits in the pre-scientific age, this is not sufficient to explain away such biblical stories as mere primitive superstition. Within the worldview of their time, they used evil spirits as a way of expressing the reality of evil powers to which human life is subject in every age. Modern readers may no longer believe in spirits in the same way as the people of the first century. But listen to this. But human beings in every age confront the powers of evil at work in the world and within their own lives. Having been a pastor for over four decades, one of the real values that I've come to appreciate, one of the great values of biblical imagery is that it pictures the vast reservoir of evil which threatens us from which we cannot deliver ourselves. Jesus gets down in the dirt with this man. This is, to me, the most powerful part. Everyone is upset. People are mad. People are afraid. They don't know what to feel. And Jesus is calm. He speaks very few words in this passage. There's no incantation when he delivers a man, we're told later in the passage that he was delivered from the, the um, spirits that were in him. Jesus asked him, what's your name? And then later, he speaks to the man who's been healed. That's the only two places Jesus speaks in this whole story. Sometimes it's hard to know where we need to turn. 
God's provided so many ways for us to get help when we need it. But it's up to us to admit we need help. And that's where I kind of want to spend some time. To admit we need help. It's hard, it's hard for all of us. I love, the, I love the story of the four-year-old little boy who slipped out the back door of his house and into the backyard. And his dad was standing at the kitchen sink. And his dad had parked his pickup truck in the backyard end of the backyard and the tailgate was down he unloaded some stuff off his big four-wheel drive and then he came in the house and the sun slipped out and he watched the sun and the sun went to the back of the pickup truck started climbing up on the tailgate and all of a sudden he couldn't go forward and he couldn't go backward without falling he was stuck and the dad saw his son saying something but he couldn't hear him through the window the little boy turned this way and say something that way and turned something so the dad went over and opened the door very quietly, the back door so he could hear. And the little boy was hung there, and he was saying this, Somebody help the boy! Somebody help the boy! All of us, at times, need help to reach out. The help you and I need may not be as dramatic as this man in Luke. Maybe you're dealing with worry or fear. Regret. Maybe you've been hurt in a relationship. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's depression. As a pastor, people come to you with lots of different problems. And there's always that opportunity to hear and listen, primarily. To pray with people. And it's, it's a meaningful, a very meaningful thing. And sometimes in certain cases, you know, people tell you things like, you know, I'm not sleeping, I'm really anxious, I'm not eating, whatever, whatever. There, there are situations where you, you, you want to give some guidance. And I learned over the years, sometimes what I needed to suggest was that someone go see their doctor and get checked out or go to a clinic that's nearby and get checked out. And sometimes I would say, you know, some counseling would help you deal with what's going on in your life. It can be part of God's healing. And, of course, all the time we can reach out to Jesus and sometimes I think when we ask for help, you know what Jesus may be saying to us? Go see your doctor. Get along with side of someone who you can talk to and get this out of just yourself or your self-talk and someone you trust and someone that can guide you. And counseling can be that. Absolutely. We need it. Earlier, we sang this song in the middle of the night when worry finds me. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's, there's something beyond just those things and something deeper going on in us. And we need to be able to reach out to the one who can really and truly help us. And so the song says, cast all your cares upon the Lord because the Lord cares about you. I don't know if there's anyone here who those worries and troubles seem to find you most during the night. Is there anybody? You don't have to hold your hand up or raise your hand or nod your head. But I got one hand up back there. I think that's my grandson. Okay. You're too young to have problems like that. Oh. It seems like it's, it's in the darkness, doesn't it? That evil feels like it's the closest, whatever sort it may be. I've learned that it's helpful in the middle of that night to, to repeat something. And, and whether that's, you know, something you have, you can say, I don't know. But what I've learned to say, and it's helpful to say, is I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong 
Jesus. Again, I don't know what you're dealing with right now. But the key to understanding this passage is not to get too focused on the healing and the response. But is rather to focus on what Jesus' actions reveal. Jesus longs to help you and me if we reach out to him. Admit we need help. Invite him into our lives. The healed man wants to go with Jesus, right? That's the way the story ends. I think this is the really important part for us. Something amazing has happened in his life, and he goes to Jesus and said, I want to go with you. What's Jesus say? He said, no. Here's, here's the deal. Here's why you've been put here, to bring some of up there, up there, down here. Go back into your community and tell what God has done. How can we go to our community and live out our love for Christ? There are a lot of ways. But I want to suggest a couple. And they're really based on a life uh, of a man named John Perkins. Can you put up Dr. Dr. Perkins' picture? This is John Perkins. He's 92 years old. He's been a tremendous influence in the Christian world. And in some ways, just because of his upbringing in rural Mississippi, his brother being murdered by a racist, his own being thrown in prison and beaten, the hardships of poverty, dropping out of school, between the third and fourth grade, and yet he's gone on as God shaped his life as a Christian preacher and leader to influence the Christian church in so many ways with his principles that are meant for really changing a community. And they're used by many, many people. He's written a number of books. He has 12 different uh, honorary degrees. Uh, I mean, he is an amazing man. And so I want to give you these two takeaways. What can we do? Okay, what do we to do with all this? I think being barrier breakers for us can be easier than we think and maybe sometimes harder than we think. But if, if Dr. Perkins has taught me anything, in the Christian church anything, it's this. We're to embrace or embracing diversity. And that is by seeking diverse relationships In a fractured world, one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate our love for Christ is to reach across the barriers that separate us. Dr. Perkins says this, In the church, we don't tolerate diversity, we celebrate it. And that's certainly what we do here. God created everyone unique. Nobody looks just like you. You're not one in a million, you're one in seven billion. You've been uniquely put here. You have. And God wants to use that and wants you to claim that mission for your life. If you have a problem with people who are different than you, then ultimately you have a problem with God because God created us all unique. Embracing diversity might be just as simple as walking across the street with your neighbor. That person of color you pass day in and day out on your way into the office or whatever it is to just... Build a relationship to to talk, to ask about their life. Let them get to know your life. It's not that hard, but we have to be willing to get out of the boxes we get in. The last thing is this, and I'll close with this. We are to affirm the dignity of others. Affirming another person's dignity is so important. We don't give people dignity, according to Dr. Perkins. They already have, we all have, already have it. We're creating the image of God. We can't affirm it, though. How do we do that? Three ways. By listening to people. It's amazing. When you listen to someone and know something about their story, 
Second, it is to make eye contact, literally to make eye contact with people. It's a powerful thing when you give your attention to someone. You're giving them your most important thing, your time. And lastly, to learn. To learn from it. We can learn something from everyone. If you figured this out, everyone's ignorant in some areas. And everyone is smart in some areas. When my car breaks down, I am totally ignorant of what to do about it. I say, when, they, when I call them and they, you know, they say, well, what's wrong with it? I said, it's broke. Okay, that's all I know. It's broke. But you know a lot about it. And when we realize, no matter someone's station in life, that we can learn from them. Some of the deepest lessons come from people who are very different than us.